Let's all embark on another week of our four-and-a-half-year verse-by-verse journey through all of God's inspired Word by opening our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And for us to get our, our context really firmly anchored, let's all go back to verse number 1. Remember, this letter is written by Paul from his last imprisonment, the one in which he will be martyred. Uh, He's in Rome, and he's writing it back to Timothy in Ephesus. So it's an older preacher, a preacher on the way out, writing to his protege, who is going to be picking up the the reins picking up the the job that is being left behind uh, by the one writing these words. And so this is what he says, and uh, it needs to be listened to very carefully by all those younger preachers out there. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, and his kingdom. So this is anchored in the reality of Jesus being the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is the one that will determine where everyone spends eternity. Preach the word. So get the word of God out there, preachers. Be ready in season and out of season. So that means whether you're talking about your prepared remarks for Sunday school or morning worship or Sunday evening or something like that, or just suddenly someone asks you, could you speak to this group? Could you come and talk to these couple of people with me? You've got to always be ready, preacher. Reprove which means that you sometimes have to fix misinformation, misunderstandings. Rebuke. Sometimes you have to come down and say you are wrong and you need to stop saying those things because here is why you're wrong. And exhort, which is trying to move people forward, getting them to the right thing with complete patience and teaching. So all of these things must be done with the patience of a righteous leader, wanting to get everything the way God wants it. And here's the reason why. Verse number three, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against principalities and powers. That's true from Ephesians chapter 6. But those flesh and blood false teachers do cause a lot of trouble. Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound or healthy teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. These guys will look around for somebody that will tell them what they want to hear, who will support them, in doing the things they want to do. These are mercenary pastors we're talking about, mercenary preachers, mercenary ministers. They're doing it 
just because that's what's being asked of them in order for them to get paid. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, that's the audience. That's the group uh, that is having some form of godliness but denying the power of it. Uh, They will want something other than the truth of God's word. They want fictions. They want something more suitable to their tastes. And preachers, we can't do that. We've got to be committed to Jesus Christ and his word. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. Keep your head on straight. Endure suffering because all those who live godly lives will be persecuted, Jesus said. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, an evangelist can and should be involved in establishing new territory for the gospel, that is, new believers. But an evangelist also, as we have seen in 1 Timothy, uh, is involved in making sure established work is being done appropriately. So, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Do the things that the Holy Spirit gave you to do, Timothy. And again, all of us preachers, we need to listen to these words. These are for our benefit. Now, from that point, the Apostle Paul now begins to express how certain he is that he is wrapping his ministry up and why Timothy has to take up the mantle. Verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, the drink offering was a liquid offering uh, that happened at the temple in Jerusalem, and when the priest poured it out, he poured it out at the base of the altar of sacrifice, and it just basically disappeared into the ground. It was gone. It was given in honor to God, but it ceased existing on its own by that, act, by that action of being offered. So Paul is basically saying, I'm about done here. I've just about finished my part in the ministry of the gospel because I'm poured out. The time of my departure has come my exodus from this world. I have fought the good fight. You know, a lot of times people will point out this is, I've agonized the agony. So I have done what I needed to do. I've wrestled as much as I can wrestle. I have finished the race. We know that Paul has liked, probably because of the audience that he's writing to, Uh, to use sports metaphors. Uh, When uh, you cross the finish line, your race is done. 
And so that is where Paul is at here. He thinks that he's about to break the tape. I have kept the faith, the faith in Jesus Christ, the crucified, resurrected, and glorified Savior. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, the Stephanos of righteousness, which is the victor's crown. It was the, the little, um, I think it was laurel crown that was placed upon the head of those that were victorious in whatever their um, event was in the games. And so he feels that he's about to run his last event, and having died for the faith, he will go into the presence of Jesus Christ and be awarded the crown of victory, the crown of righteousness. And then he points out that this is not just for him. It says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, remember the one who will judge the living and the dead at the very beginning of this chapter, will award to me on that day, which seems to be the second coming day, the day on which Jesus appears in the sky and the trumpets are blown, the dead in Christ have their bodies resurrected, the living in Christ have their bodies transformed, and we're all caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and it seems as if the first big event is the Supper of the Lamb, which I look at as being an award ceremony, when everyone will know and hear in some form or fashion uh, the, the accolades of God himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your Lord's rest. Uh, so that's happening in the future, Paul says, for everyone, not only for me, but also for all who have loved his appearing. And I love that line there, who have loved his appearing, because it makes me think of in a later writing, First John, uh, when we are told uh, by that apostle that everyone who has their, their mind and their hope set on the second coming of Jesus Christ will purify themselves just as he, Jesus, is pure. Uh, so we are motivated in our Christian lifestyle by thinking about the future, thinking about that day when we will stand in Christ's presence and uh, be rewarded for living the way he wanted us to live. Verse number nine. Do your best to come to me soon. Now, I've given you my best guess of the chronology that we're dealing with here. I think that Paul did uh, go off to Spain uh, for his long-anticipated ministry there, uh, but I believe after the Roman fire of the summer of 64, and the persecution of the church that broke out later in that same year and continued into the years following, I think that the Apostle Paul came back from Spain into the Aegean area, uh, 
back to places where he'd ministered uh, most recently, uh, to Ephesus, uh, the seven uh, churches in Asia, province for Rome. I think he went to Troas again. Uh, I think when Paul came back, it was probably the very beginning of the spring of 65. And I think it wasn't very long after that that he was arrested and charged uh, as a ringleader uh, in this, this, um, this cult that believed in burning everything down. That was the accusation being made, you know, uh, after the, uh, the burning of Rome. Uh, and that I think he was probably put on trial there at Ephesus and very quickly uh, condemned for being a leader in, uh, in that group. Uh, and then he, I think he immediately appealed and was shipped off to Rome. Now, a, a possible tweak on that is that he was charged in Ephesus in Asia, shipped off to Rome, and hastily tried there, convicted and appealed, uh, and uh, was currently awaiting his, uh, his appeal before Nero. And so I believe that this letter, 2 Timothy, is written in the middle portion, maybe in the fall, the early fall uh, of, um, of 65. And so Paul's instruction to Timothy is, do your best to come to me soon. He will later say, please get here before the winter. So here's why he wants Timothy there. Verse 10, and this is really tragic information, really sad, heartbreaking information, and information that I hope gets reversed through repentance, but we don't know for sure. Verse 10, for Demos, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas was mentioned by name in Colossians and Philemon. I think he was also mentioned in 1 Timothy um, as a major player in Paul's ministry. But now that the persecution of Christian leaders uh, is taking place after the burning of Rome uh, in 64, it seems that Demas has decided that the leadership position is not his anymore. So he's abandoned the Apostle Paul, and he's gone to Thessalonica and kind of disappeared from the scene. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Now, we don't know much about Crescens other than this, but it does seem to be in the same vein as what Paul's writing about Demas. Crescens has abandoned the faith. He has abandoned the leadership role. Here's one that's really sad. Titus to Dalmatia. Now we know that Paul wrote an entire letter to Titus uh, after having left him on the island of Crete uh, to put things right there, make things stronger there. But the impression I get here is that just like Demas... Titus has left the immediate, um, the immediate support of Paul 
and gone away. Uh, I think perhaps to try to avoid uh, being caught up uh, as one of the leaders in this group that's being persecuted. Now, I hope all three of these guys repented. They certainly could have. Uh, but um, it, it saddens me to read these words. Verse number 11, Luke alone is with me. So Luke, of course, is Dr. Luke, uh, who traveled with Paul extensively uh, in that third missionary journey as it was coming to a close. Uh, he spent two years uh, in the Holy Land researching eyewitnesses for the writing of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, that was happening during the two years that Paul was uh, being detained under palace arrest uh, at Caesarea. Uh, and then Luke came with Paul to Rome for the appeal to Caesar and stayed with him there for two entire years. Uh, and uh, we don't know what Luke did uh, after Paul's first uh, release from Roman uh, detention. Uh, he, I think it's possible he may have traveled with him. But here, we know for a fact, he is at Paul's side, despite other people abandoning him. Get Mark, that's John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Uh, so John Mark was the young man that Paul took for the first half of his first missionary journey. Uh, and when John Mark um, kind of abandoned them uh, out of his uh, inexperience, I think, his youthfulness on that first one, uh, when it was suggested he go on the second missionary journey, you remember that Paul said, no, we will not take him. And so John Mark instead goes with his relative Barnabas uh, to the island of Crete, and who knows from there. The tradition is that he ends up going down to Egypt. Uh, but uh, the tradition is that John Mark eventually kind of hooks up with Peter and spends uh, time with Peter in Rome and may have actually been there with Peter uh, at the time that Peter uh, was arrested and then executed. And then John Mark left. Uh, again, the tradition seems to be that he was working uh, in the Delta region, Alexandria of Egypt. And Paul is saying, wherever Mark's at, find him, get him here to Rome with me, because he has been useful to me in ministry. So clearly all the past has been resolved between these two men. Uh, and uh, in the face of others that have abandoned Paul now, he wants John Mark back. Verse number 12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So just to make it very clear for Timothy, Tychicus is in Ephesus because that's where Paul wants him. Now, when you come, so he wants Timothy to come soon. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and also the and above all the parchments. So he wants some of the stuff that was left behind, I think, because of his arrest. 
and how hurriedly he was put on trial or, or sent off to Rome. He wants that stuff back here at the end of his life. Um, the cloak would be pragmatically helpful since winter in this prison is going to be uh, pretty, pretty harsh. And so he wants something to keep warm. Uh, the other material, helpful in his own personal studies and even in being able to write to other people letters of encouragement that we do not have. Um, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. So this is at Ephesus. This guy apparently took the lead in pushing for Paul to be put away and to be put down. Um, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our mess message. So watch out for him, Timothy. He is a dangerous individual uh, who hates the gospel. Verse number 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Now there we go. Uh, either in a trial at Ephesus or in his first trial at Rome, Paul felt everyone had backed away from him. May it not be charged against him. So the very thing that I was talking about earlier um, was in Paul's heart. He would want these guys to be able to repent and to come back, regardless of what they did to him by leaving him all alone. Verse 17, But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Uh, so he is the apostle of the Gentiles. That is what Jesus specifically tapped him for. And so here, even toward the end, that's what he's concerned with, is that even when I'm being accused and I have no supporters and encouragers, Jesus was there for me. And Jesus let me keep talking about the gospel so that some of the Gentiles might get wind of this and respond and be saved. Now, the next line, I believe, is metaphorical. So, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, not everybody believes that it's metaphorical. Some people believe that Paul was somehow slated to die a criminal's death in the arena, perhaps at uh, Ephesus, perhaps at Rome, uh, where sometimes they would pit condemned criminals up against wild animals uh, for the, uh, the sport of the attendees to see such things happen. Uh, but I will have to say that I believe Paul's status as a Roman citizen would have precluded that. Uh, he has the right to execution by, by beheading. So I, I doubt that he ever had a worry of going into uh, the arena and facing a, a literal wild lion. I think instead he's using the sense of Satan or Satan's minions 
who have tried to put him down ahead of time. Um, he has been delivered from that for just a little bit longer. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So his expectation is, no matter what happens next, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body, to be present with him. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the official letter is now kind of over, but he has a few more little greetings and a few more uh, things that he wants to say. It could be that he wrote these in in his own handwriting because we know he was in the habit of that. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Uh, they've been with him for a long time in ministry, and so they're at Ephesus. And the household of Anesiphorus, which he mentioned earlier in the book. So he wants them greeted as well. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. So a couple more individuals that Timothy needs to be aware of. They didn't run away from Paul. Erastus stayed behind, perhaps at Paul's insistence, at Corinth, while Trophimus fell sick. And it's interesting there was no supernatural healing of Trophimus. Now, you can read from that what, whatever you think it might indicate. Uh, but he was left at Miletus, perhaps uh, either when Paul was coming to Ephesus or when he was heading away, uh, heading off to Rome. Now, verse 21, do your best to come before winter. I think that's the winter of 65 going into 66 that we have in mind here. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Uh, so these appear to be folks related to the Roman church. And uh, they maybe know Timothy either personally or they know him by reputation. Uh, and so they send their greetings uh, that direction through the Apostle Paul. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. A very typical ending to Paul's untypical final letter. And uh, my belief is that he probably uh, was uh, condemned to die by Nero within the next uh, several months after this. I think he probably was executed sometime in the winter of 65 going into 66, or sometime in the year 66 itself. And uh, we will talk a little bit about what happens next on the world scene in the background to the book of Hebrews that's coming up next.